Hello, welcome to Delvecast. This is Scott. I hope everybody's doing okay in these stressful times. As more of us have to isolate, come indoors, and social distance ourselves, I wanted to go through some reviews of solo games. For some of us, it's not easy to get a group together and of course it's not advised or even possible, depending on where you are in the world, to be able to do that right now. While there are solutions like Roll20 and Fancy Grounds and Discord, it's still a chore to get people together um, on time because schedules and all the usual stuff there, it's always tough. So I wanted to make a series of recordings, each one looking at a different game that is either created for solo purposes or it is a solo game that can also be played with multiple players. So the first game I'm looking at is Legacy of Dragonhold by Fantasy Flight Games. A cooperative narrative adventure for one to six players designed by Nikki Valens. Nick, uh, Legacy of Dragon Hall is a boxed game, and we're going to go through each of the components and find out a little bit more of what it's about. And I'll do a bit of a review of it. Disclaimer I've not completed Legacy of Dragon Hall yet. I've played enough to get an idea of what it does involve. So, take this more as a, a preview and an overview than a full review. So, Legacy of Dragonhold is set in the Runebound universe, which is Terranoth. Terranoth has found its way into the Genesis role-playing system by Fantasy Flight Games, and it's also in games such as Rune Wars. It is Fantasy Flight Games' default fantasy setting. I'll just read the back of the box to give you an idea of what it's all about. Dragonhold lies just past the eaves of spirit-haunted eventide forest, surrounded by ancient orchards and quiet farms. While much of Terranoth is perilous, this village is comparative, a comparative haven of tranquility, or it used to be. Danger has come to Dragonhold. Bandits and monsters gather in the forest, and a mystical death comes true. Sorry, comes due. Legacy of Dragonhold is a cooperative narrative adventure for one to six players. You will travel to the village of Dragonhold, meet an old friend, embark on adventures, and save the day. Or not, as you make choices and test your skills. Dragonhold lives and changes around you, and the tale may take unexpected twists and turns due to your decisions and achievements. No two stories will be the same. Will you save the young lord or let him perish? Defeat the dragon or watch the village burn. Adventure awaits, so gather your friends, create your character, and dive into the rich world of the Runebound universe. Are you ready to tell your story? Its contents contain 
one rulebook, one character creation book, six quest books, one village book, one letter, one map, one journal, 20 item cards, six activation tokens, and six character sheets. So, opening up the box, we have all of those contents. Now, as always, the quality is pretty good for a Fancy Flight boxed game. Um, you have a map made out of um, fairly high quality, quite glossy paper. I think it would have been maybe more effective if it were on a different material, like cloth, but I understand that there's obviously cost implications there. And the cards, they are fairly good quality. Um, they're maybe made of thinner stock than you might find in a Fancy Flight games, and I'm not entirely sure why, because there aren't actually that many cards. Each of the cards have um, items on them. So, for instance, in my last adventure, I picked up a healing potion, and it has the name. It has a, a nice piece of art. It's all black and white art. Uh, and a description. So, the liquid burns your throat like bitter fire, but quickly heals open wounds and broken bones. And it says, when you drink this potion, you recover half of your maximum stamina. So, you have a set of cards with these items on. You have a map of Dragon Holt. So, this is the village that you arrive at. Now, you don't get the map straight away. You, you have to do a, an introductory adventure first, which I think is a really nice way of introducing the game. You you are travelling to Dragonholt with a couple of companions. And you get to see how the mechanics work um, through that. It's you don't really need the rule book. In fact the rule book says that it's really only there for reference because you're taken through everything. The map itself of Dragonhold is it's quite large and it's a top-down view of all the locations that you can visit in Dragonhold. So each location has a paragraph number on it. Drag Legacy of Dragonhold is very much a fighting fantasy slash choose-your-own-adventure game where you are looking at paragraphs and choosing the way that you're going in a series of books. So if we look at some of the rules to the game, we can get a better idea of how this is played. What I was interested to see was that it's not... Um, 
an overly complex game. When I got it, I had the impression that it was going to be more of a role-playing game with stats and dice, but the whole thing is diceless. So the rules are, um, it's a small book, it's only seven pages, and this is the the starter rule book. Um, there is also a character creation rule book, which obviously goes through how to create your character. So the starter rule book gives an overview of what the game is, um, how it's played, and it gives the object of the game. So Legacy of Dragonholt is a cooperative game. That is, if you're playing with more than one player, all of you are on the same team. However, unlike other games, Legacy of Dragonholt is not about winning or losing. Legacy of Dragonholt is a game about storytelling. As you play, your decisions will weave a narrative tapestry that tells the story of your adventures in the village of Dragonhold. You take on the role of a hero, a brave adventurer who seeks fame and fortune either by performing acts of good and honour or simply by seeking out monsters to battle or villagers to save. While playing Legacy of Dragonhold, you will tell a continuous story related to your adventures. When one adventure ends, another can begin. The game comes to an end when you reach the story's natural conclusion. What that conclusion is, however, depends entirely on the decisions you make on this adventure. So as it says, it's a fairly non-linear game. You're able to tackle adventures, I believe, in... Uh, sorry, quests, in quest books, in whatever way you like. Now, it mentions their conclusions. As I say, I haven't got through everything yet. What I've seen is people say that in the first playthrough, or even in the second playthrough, they've not got all, through all of the quests. And the reason for this is because everything is timed. So as you go through the game, you play through certain days so time is um, is abstracted throughout the game it could be anything from a few minutes to multiple hours depending on what the quest is but as you go through a quest you're told to tick off some time while you're in Dragonholt Village it's divided into seven days and that's all detailed on the back of the Dragonhawk Village book. And things happen when at certain times. So, for instance, you might only be able to get into a tavern when it's later in the evening, when the tavern's open. Certain events will only happen at certain times. But what, what that means is that if you're doing something at a certain time, you might miss doing something else. Which means that there's replayability to the game. It also means that you could reach the end of the entire timeline and you might not have got through every quest that's available. Which I think is a really interesting concept. And it's not really something that's been explored in game books as far as I know. 
what has been explored in game books is story points. Now the game uses story points to record the decisions you make throughout your adventures. In the rulebook it says they allow the story to play out differently depending on the decisions you've made. Story points are recorded on the story tracking sheet. So when you are instructed to mark one or more story points, locate the story point on the story tracking sheet by referencing its letter and number and mark that box. So I think this has taken a lot of inspiration from games like Fabled Lands, where you had a code word system. So if you were to fulfill an action or a quest, you would be given a code word. And what that means is that if you were going to go back to a location again and you had a certain code word, it would give you a different result. It might mean that you're barred entry to a location. It might mean that you're able to access a new area, or it might mean that a whole village has been completely destroyed, as in in Fabled Lands. So this causes an evolution in the game as you're going through it. You're collecting these story points and you have the time against you, which means there's a constant flux and evolution. And your decisions really do impact the game. On to character creation. As I say, there's a full book on this. And it's all very simple. It's all quite loose as well. It's very much narrative driven. It's more based on the believing that the player is going to take on the actual role of a character and that the descriptions that they note on their character sheet is going to drive their decisions, which I think is a really sensible way of approaching um, a choose-your-own-adventure branching story game like this. So the character creation rules are actually thicker than the main rulebook at 17 pages. At first you choose a race. You can choose between humans, orcs, dwarves, elves, gnomes and catfolk. And each of those are split into sub-races. So for instance, with humans, you have baronial humans who uh, are more, they are stout, they own baronies, they're richer, they're suspicious of outsiders. You also have free city humans who are more working class. They're not from noble lineages and they're more accepting of other races. It then gives you some ideas around names. So for instance, when we talk about humans, under human names, it says, human nobles are proud of their name's long lineage and history often carrying the name of an ancestor and having a family name that goes back generations. Commoners seldom bother with family names at all using a second name that is more descriptive, such as a trade name, if one is required. So it gives you an idea of what kind of name you should be giving based on the context of that race. It then gives you a list of skills. 
So you won't be taking all of these skills. These are skills that are inspiring you to uh, select from. And rather than listing just a list of skills, it gives you them bolded in a sentence or in a paragraph. So again, with humans, it says, humans are intensely social people and deception, empathy and persuasion, all of those are bolded, are all of great use in their communities. Their tendency towards large cities and towns also encourages them to be streetwise, again, bolded. So moving on, we have orcs, which are split into tribal orcs and stone dweller orcs, again, with the same descriptions around names. So for orcs, it's around adding tribal surnames or using single names. Dwarves, you have Dunwar dwarves and Forge Dwarves. Their skills are looking at athletics, endurance, craftsmanship, military. Elves, the Latari Elves, and the Dawnsmore Elves. So anybody that's played a previous runebound type Terranoth game should already be familiar with some of these races. With gnomes you have burrow gnomes and wanderer gnomes. And finally catfolk, which was my starting character, um, are hirinks uh, who tend to live in mountains and hard to reach places. They're scattered and exiled. And half catfolk who are um, part human, part catfolk. Then you move on to choosing a class, and there are seven classes to choose from. There's apothecary, bard, brawler, knight, sage, thief, and wildlander. And it gives you a description of each and it gives you a list of skills as well, in the same way that the races gave a list of skills in that paragraph form. So if we take a look at Apothecary, it says, Apothecaries must learn alchemy to practice their trade, and many also learn craftsmanship along the way. An apothecary is usually the person most responsible for selling his or her own goods and managing a sometimes quite complex business. So they find persuasion and reasoning useful. So again, it gives you a list of skills, and the idea is that you select some of the skills from your class and some of the skills from your race. So the races and classes have little bearing on your character aside from the list of skills, but it's more about the flavor, and it's more about how you roleplay. And what I will say also is that the art in the book is really nice. It's it is that fancy flight um, style of um, digital high fantasy art. It is very nice. So once you've got your um, your profession, uh, excuse me, your class, you move on to describe yourself as step three. So it takes you through giving yourself a physical description. And this is based on the skills that you have. So for instance, 
There are some examples here. She carries a sword and shield that bear the symbol of her house and wears glistening plate mail. And it says, the hero described above has likely been trained in the military arts and possibly has some experience with dueling. A proud lineage might also indicate that she's learn, learn, learned sorry, in history. So it's using those skills to give your physical description, which I quite like. Then it's personality and ideals. Again, none of these are really mechanic-based. It's more bringing together those skills into something that revolves around how you roleplay your character. So personality traits, it says, for example, she is prudent and meticulous. Everything must be done according to the code of chivalry. And then it says, this hero, probably a knight, seems to be a straight-laced and honourable type. She likely has a great deal of willpower to maintain her nature and untold devotion to her code and her cause. Such a hero would never rely on deception, thievery or other underhanded measures. With ideals, this is um, essentially what is your life code. So as an example, there is beauty in all natural wonders. As such, I carry myself with the elegance and grace of the natural world. And again, it's bringing the skills to really back up why this is your ideal. So this hypothetical character may have natural agility and um, performance and empathy. You gain a background. So you decide what kind of background you have and then you fit skills to it. Step four is actually where you choose your skills. So what you what the game wants you to do is create a a list of descriptions, ideals, and your background, and then retrofit along with what makes sense for your race and class. Retrofit your skills to what makes sense there. Again, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it because it is fiction first. And again, these have very little bearing aside from the skills on the actual mechanics of the game. It's more about what your character would do in a certain situation. When you choose your skills, you select a total of five to eight. Um, and your stamina decreases by two for each skill you have chosen beyond five. So you can have a lower number of skills, but you would have a higher stamina. And then there's a, a, f a final full list of skills and descriptions of each skill. And they are separated into combat skills, physical skills, mental skills, social skills, and utility skills. It gives a little bit of information about what runebound shards are. So it says, magic in the runebound world is a greatly powerful but untamed force. Individuals powerful enough to control the arcane are few and far between, even among the elves. Ages ago, one such powerful wizard, Timoran Lokander, 
gathered immense amounts of arcane energy and condensed it into a single orb of crystallized magic. However, Timoran was later forced to shatter the orb when a treacherous Wakir Sumarian attempted to claim it for himself. After Timorin's death, the shards of the orb were scattered throughout Terranoth and beyond. Many of these shards, fragments of pure magic that sparkle like gemstones, were seized by the dragon lords, who inscribed mystic runes upon them. Each rune ascribes a specific purpose to the magic the shard contains, and guides that magic to create specific spells. The dragon rune of each rune-bound shard guides the magic within the shard so that even those without magical talent may unleash their unique power. So the runebound shards are um, a key part of the runebound lore. And at the back of the book it gives you your character sheet as well. So taking a look at the main book, which is Dragonhold Village, this is your hub. This is where you're going to be coming back between quests and the story evolves throughout Dragonhold Village and it gives an approximate playtime on the front of the book 30 to 50 minutes per chapter. So this gives you a good idea if you're sitting down to have a game of this how long you need to set aside to play a chapter. As I say Everything is set in paragraphs. So you read through the paragraph. You read what your options are. And then you go to the paragraph. Now, where skills come in is they unlock specific actions that you can do and specific decisions that you can make. So... For example, if you had history as a skill, you would be open to a, a new entry than somebody who didn't have history in a certain context. Similarly with items, you might need a war rune, for example, to get to a certain paragraph. Sometimes it'll tell you that time passes after you go to the next location, or that you mark a story point, for instance, P8. You mark these on your tracking sheets. There's an interesting part here about chapters and taking breaks. To the end of each day, uh, sorry, the end of each day marks the end of a chapter in the story. The end of a chapter is a great time to take a break. You might wish to stop playing for now and pick up from here at a later date. If so, record the entry number you have been directed to on the story tracking sheet so you can pick up where you left off next time you play. So again, it's telling you where you can stop because it, you could easily just continue going through these quests for hours and hours. Now, the way that it's played multiplayer, I'm honestly not too convinced by. Everybody, of course, creates their own character, but people take it in turns making decisions. And for me, this lends itself 
much more to a solo game where you are making your own decisions. As such, it's a solid game. I really like it. I I like the Fabled Lands inspired story point systems where the game is evolving as you go. You feel a little bit of time pressure there and you feel like you have a bit of a fear of missing out certain things. And it means that you can go back and play through again and see how far you can get. The other couple of things I just wanted to mention were the feelies that you get in it. So I mentioned at the start that you get a journal and a letter. Now you unlock these at certain parts, but these are actual letters and a journal. Now, again, I think in terms of having this as a box game, they could have done a little bit more with the materials here. Um, the letter is is quite cool that it's folded into three and it's they've replicated a printed wax seal on it. Um, but it is kind of just a piece of glossy paper. But you read this letter and it has... Um, well, I won't tell you what it has on it because that might spoil it. <laughs> and there's also a journal that you pick up, which you have to sit down and read through like a regular journal, picking up clues along the way, which I really like. I think that's a really immersive element of the game. I'd like to see more of that from the game. So ultimately what I think of Legacy of Dragonhold, it is a very well presented, interesting, intriguing game. Because it's set in Terranoth, the fancy um, setting isn't all that groundbreaking. It's very much your standard high fantasy. Which could be disappointing for some people, and I do wish they'd done a little bit more with that setting, made it a little bit different. But that said, it is a good way to waste a bit of time, and it does scratch that itch that you have when uh, if you're not playing a game um, with a group. So that's all I wanted to go through today. I hope everyone stays safe, and I will speak to you next time.